when you go into a worship set like that, you, wow, I was just getting wrecked. You see why David could pray a prayer like, Lord, one thing I ask and one thing I seek is to dwell in your temple all the days of my life so I can gaze upon your beauty. It's like, man, was that just, I feel like I just got a glimpse during worship and it's just like, I could stay here forever. You know, it's like, that we have a God who makes himself available to us that we can come into a room together and he, and he meets us and he allows us to see him. And then as we see him, we behold him and then we get to become like him. And it's like, who is this God? <laughs> who is this God that we serve? And this isn't even my message, but I think it, I think it ties in a bit. Because I, and I was just in awe of like who he is and, and Jordan's right. I have a hard time preaching a broad array of things because it's like, man, I, I can't get that far away from just speaking of the goodness of the Lord. Like his goodness, it, it can't be exaggerated. It can't be overstated. You can't talk about it too much. You can't sing about it too much. You can't pursue it. You can't ask for it. You haven't seen all of it. You can never get to the end of it. The Psalm says that God, his goodness is unsearchable. If it's unsearchable, then it's a worthy cause for us to just, for the rest of our lives, just throw ourselves after it, right? Like, I'm never going to get to the end of it. I'm never going to get this point where, like, your goodness is, is fully explored and I have nothing more to find out about you. It's like, it's so expansive. And I think uh, it's so important that we believe this. I think... For us to believe that God is good, you've heard Jordan say it many times. I don't know who the theologian that said it, but it's like the most important thing that you think about. What you think about God is the most important thing that you think, and it's so true. Like, if you believe God's good, it definitely changes the way you live. Amen? Right? And I think uh, belief, I think, actually is what compels us into faith, right? There's a... Do we believe and then we act in faith, right? And belief, I think, is actually the foundation or the, the springboard that then we activate ourselves into faith. And I, uh, I spent some time in Mozambique uh, with Heidi Baker's ministry, and there was a pastor, uh, Pastor Surprise. And I'll never forget, he was talking about all these miracles that he sees, um, signs and wonders like crazy, people getting raised from the dead. And I was... I think I was 18 years old. I'd never seen like an actual physical healing and I was just kind of like captivated by like, I was not even supposed to be in Mozambique. It was crazy. I was like in Kenya and I was about to start college in Kenya and was gonna spend the next four years in Kenya. And then all of a sudden I was, the Lord's like, go to Mozambique. And so I like go to Mozambique and it was like one of the first weeks I was there and I'm sitting there and I'll never forget the look he had. He said, so many people, they say, God, show me a miracle and then I'll believe. Let me see, and then I'll believe. And he just had this smirk on his face, and he was like, I believe, and so I see. And it was like something hit me so deep that it was like, I think I was on the other side of the coin. It was God, like, let me see a miracle, and then I'll believe. Let me see your goodness, and then I'll believe. Like, pour it out, and then I'll trust it. And he kind of like turned that upside down for me and was like, no. Like, you believe that God's good, and then all of a sudden you start seeing his goodness, right? And so I think so often we say, just get to faith, but I think to get to faith, we have to first identify what we believe and create this foundation for like our faith to jump off of, right? Amen? Amen.
Um, so t- I, I want to touch on, on the goodness of God. And I think there's two aspect, aspects of his goodness that I want to talk about. It's his willingness and the fact that he's loving. I think those are the two. It's like God's two things. I think he's willing and I think he's loving. And I think that's what makes him good. And he's willing. I mean, if you look at the scriptures, I mean, you look in Genesis and he's willing to create this beautiful garden and he's willing to walk with man in the cool of day is what it says, right? He shows his willingness to, to create man in his image and to come and actually do life with them. And then they fall away. And then what do you see in their, in their nakedness? He actually goes and he, and, he, and he gets fig leaves and he sows them and he's like willing to cover their nakedness. Right, And then you see Abraham down the road and, and he's, he's in this foreign land and the Lord comes to him and he, and he makes covenant to him. And he says, Abraham, go to the land I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna bless you. And the people that bless you, I'm gonna bless. And he makes covenant with Abraham. He's willing to make covenant. And then Israel, you know, down the line, it's, they're in captivity. And what does he do? He comes and he like, He's like, I'm willing to make a way where there's no way. My way's across the sea and you'll walk across it on dry land. It's like he's another part of his willingness. And then you see in the wilderness for 40 years, they're like journeying and they're like, you're like, you read it and you're like, knock, knock. Like, can you not get it? Right? But the Lord, it's like he paints this beautiful picture that like even in your stubbornness, like I'm willing to provide for you. Like even when you complain that you don't have food and you don't have water, like I'm willing to provide. You know, and then Israel, they, they, they finally crossed the Jordan a little longer than I think God wanted it to take. And it's like, what does he show now? He's like, now I'm willing to like go before you and like conquer all your enemies. Right, I'll go before you and I've, and I've promised this land to you. And so you just lean upon me, follow my ways and I'll make this land yours. It's like he shows even further. It's like, I'm so willing. I'm so willing. Will you just partner with me and walk, right? And then, he, you know, finally after years of, they take a city and then they lose a city and then they take one and then they lose one, right? And then Jerusalem's finally established and, and he's like, all right, Solomon, now I want you to build me a temple. And now I'm willing to dwell with you. And I'm willing to, to make my presence the center of your city, that you can do life around me. Like I'm willing, like you're in the garden I walked with you and there's still this sin and like there's this law I need you to abide by, but like I'm still willing to come and walk with you and be in your midst. And Israel, they, they forsake God time and time again. And what happens? They get exiled once, they come back, and then they get exiled again. And you read it all throughout Jeremiah's writings. It's like, what does the Lord say? Like, no, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have a hope and I have a future for you. And he, and he, and he, and he tells Jeremiah, like, go out and buy land because the day's coming where this land's barren, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna resurrect this land and, and, and people are gonna buy and they're gonna sell and this city's gonna come back to life. And the Lord's like, once again, it's like, I'm willing, I'll bring you out of exile. I'll repair the breaches. I'll restore the broken places. It's like, it's just, I feel like the whole Old Testament is just like, God's like, I'm willing. Amen. Like, I'm willing. Amen. 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 Come on. 
Then he makes a covenant to David, right? He's like, David, I'm gonna make one of your heirs on the throne forever and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And it's like, once again, just another aspect of his willingness, like I'm willing to remain. I won't abandon you. You guys might abandon me, but I won't abandon you, right? And then there's the whole thing's cultivated. What, there's like the 400 years of silence, right? And then here comes Jesus on the scene. And it's like, if all of that didn't paint his willingness, it was like, now, like I'm willing to actually give you myself. I'm willing to give you my one and only son, right? And it's like Jesus, throughout his three, only three years of life, it's like, what does he show us? Like every single miracle, I feel like it's just a cry of God being like, I'm willing. A leopard comes to Jesus and he's like, if you will, you can make me whole. And he's like, I will. You know, he was so willing that the woman that's been bleeding, she could just reach and touch his garments and receive healing. Like his willingness was just, it's in nature. Like it was Jesus wasn't like intentionally thinking I'm gonna heal this woman. It was like, no, if you touch me, like with expectation, you're just gonna get what I am. And he's like, I'm a willing, I'm so willing. And then we see Jesus and it's like, Oh my goodness, if everything else didn't paint the heart of God, it was, you know, the disciples were telling him, hey, don't go down to Jerusalem. They want to crucify you. And he's like, no, like I have to go. Like I have to go. And he goes, like he goes willingly, like knowing that he was going to take those nails, like knowing that he was going to be whipped, knowing that, that thorns were going to be pushed into his skull, like, like knowing he was going to be mocked and spit on. But like he went and he carries his cross and he, and once again, it's like the heart of God when he gives up his spirit on the cross and the, the veil is torn from top to bottom. And it's like, I'm willing. <laughs> like, is there anything else I need to do to show you who I am? Like for thousands of years, I feel like God was just trying to like get across to humankind, like this is my nature. <laughs> like I am a willing God. And then it even goes further. <laughs> Jesus ascends and he's glorified. And you see the day of Pentecost and he's like, <laughs> If that wasn't enough, <laughs> like if that wasn't enough, now the same spirit that raised me from the dead, I'm actually going to pour him out so that he can rest upon you and make his home inside you so you can now go do greater things than I did. Like, am I clear enough? <laughs> Like, is my heart painted? Like, do you finally see me for who I am? I feel like that's good. Like, do you see me? Like, knock, knock, knock. Do you see me for who I am? He's willing. <laughs> I'll say it a couple more times. He's willing. He's willing. <laughs> this whole book is him saying, I'm willing. 
Will you just trust me? Will you just partner with me? Amen. Did I make it? Did I make the point hard enough? I didn't stop talking for like, I was like a 10 minute like rant right there. I just feel like he gave me the anointing that he has, right? For you guys. He's willing. The most amazing thing though, even though how willing he is, the other side of the coin is what makes the willingness. Whew impact our lives it's because he's loving for God so loved the world that he gave his willingness is driven by the fact that he's loving his willingness is driven by the fact that what first John says that God is love and he gives because he loves and the beautiful thing about God is the way that he gives is not the way that we give, right? Like he gives out of abundance. He never gives and then has giver's remorse. <laughs> Who's ever given a gift and you're like, okay, like this is a big gift. I'm excited to give it. Like you kind of work yourself up and you're like, oh, I give the gift. And, and then you're like, wow, I kind of wish I didn't give that. That kind of hurts, <laughs> right? Anybody experience giver's remorse? Do I have any commonality with anybody in the room? All right. All right. All right. I'll never forget. There's this, well, never mind. I'll go there. I watched this guy give this tie, this offering call once, and he started getting water bottles and started like spraying it out in the crowd. And he, he, his, his giving call was like legitimately an hour and a half. And I had the thought in that moment, I was like, man, if I would have given in that, I think I would have remorse because he was pounding it to get it out of everybody. But anywho. I won't do that to you tonight. I'm not on staff though, so I could like, I could, so I, you're lucky. I could speak about tithes. <laughs> I'm not on staff. You guys don't pay me. You're lucky that the Lord didn't give me that message tonight because you better believe I had a preached. <laughs> I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Next time, Jordan, put me on the schedule. I won't tell you guys when too. We won't post it because you won't show up. Y'all be on live stream. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But the way God gives is out of abundance. There's no lack. Uh, he gives out of an overflow. Um, he loves relentlessly and he gives relentlessly. And I think, you know, I think oftentimes we look at the story of the prodigal son. And I won't be, uh, I'll be honest, when I share this, it, it kind of still disturbs me when I think about this. But we look at the prodigal son and oftentimes we look at the prodigal and where we look at the older brother and we always are like, oh yeah, the father's God and how he like is watching from a distance and he's like runs and meets the prodigal and like throws a robe on his back. Something about that whole story that really disturbs me is the fact that if the prodigal came to his father and asked for his inheritance and he gave it to him. If my son came to me when I knew he wasn't mature enough to handle whatever he was asking me for, like, would I give it to him? Like, and I'm not saying like, like it's just disturbing, yeah? Amen? Like, I could go down a direction and dig myself out or I could just say like, like 
God's willingness to give because he loves far supersedes like our understanding. Like he gave, the father in that story gave to his son because he loved him. And it was the gift that the son didn't steward well that ended up leading him to eating in pig stalls, but then coming home. And it's like, maybe God doesn't give with these strings attached that like, hey, I'll give you this, but you've got to perform well and you've got to do X, Y, and Z. And like, if I'm going to give you a big gift or I'm going to bless your life, like you, you have to earn it. And if you don't earn it, I won't give it. And if you don't steward it well, I'll take it back from you. Maybe he just gives because he wants to give. Maybe he gives just because he's loving. Maybe he doesn't dangle the carrot. Maybe he even gives knowing that we'll have the freedom to waste it, to be the prodigal. Like I think it, that picture like challenges my thinking of like my limitations even as a father to actually give something knowing that it could potentially cause harm or it could cause good, but I actually don't get a control. Like I think he just gives so relentlessly and he trusts us so deeply. You know, and I think uh, the beautiful thing about God being willing and loving that it's his very nature is that then we can trust it. We can trust his goodness. We can make decisions that actually make us lean our lives upon his goodness. Whereas if his goodness gets pulled away, we fall. If he's truly willing and he's loving, then we can lean our lives upon seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I think the best example of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've been using the Dwell app lately, and I've realized that either I don't know most of the names of the Bible right, or the person who reads to me doesn't know most of the names of the Bible right. Abinego, or <laughs> that's how they say it to me. I'm like, it was always Abendigo to me in Sunday school. But in Daniel 3, right, Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive idol, and when the trumpets blow and the noises, the, the, the instruments are played, you know, you're to fall down and, and, and worship this idol. And in Daniel 3, this is what they say. If this be, if this be so, and, he, and the threat is that, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to throw you into the... When you have to, like, go to the airport about, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning to catch a 5 o'clock flight, which friend are you calling? <laughs> right? I have a lot of able friends and family members. I will tell you, some of them are not willing to take me to the airport at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll just be honest with you. So who do I call? I call the one who I know who's willing. Right? And it's the willing one who comes and takes me to the airport nice and early. Yeah, don't call my brother. <laughs> Not a morning person. Got to give him about two hours after he wakes up. <laughs> but no, there's a, there's a huge difference between believing God's able and believing he's willing. And I, ha I, I believe we have to believe that he's willing. We have to believe that he's willing simply because he's loving. 
that God so loved us that he gave. And as Romans says, if he gave his one and only son, what good thing will he then withhold? Right? That's the God that we serve. And, you know, and he even says this in Psalms in 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? I think we're to experience the goodness of God, or know the, the goodness of God, and we're to experience the goodness of God. It's both. We got to taste and see, and we got to put ourselves in situations where the goodness of God has to show up or else we stumble. Right? I think it's a twofold that God says, I'm willing, and then you have to activate the faith and say, okay, well, then I'll trust. Amen? Amen. And the good news is that I think we get to do this. We get to live a lifestyle of believing that He's good simply. Because he promises it. I love this promise that he says to, in uh, Israel's in exile in Jeremiah 33, he says, This city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And they shall fear and tremble because all of the good and all of the prosperity that I provide for it. Psalms 84 For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and the Lord bestows favor and honor, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He promises good. (laughs) It's his promise to us that, 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 that his goodness, that he won't hold back. Like I said, Romans 8, that he didn't even spare Jesus. So what good thing will he hold back from you? Right? If you need a stone, does he, or you need a piece of bread, does he give you a stone? If you ask for a, a fish, does he give you a serpent? No. He's a good father and he has good things in store for us, right? We should be expectant that we see the goodness of God. We should live lives like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where our life proclaims a message that God's able and that he will. Like, we have to take these steps in life. We have to be like Peter stepping out of the boat. We have to be like Moses leading, you know, what is it, like two million Israelites to the Red Sea being like, uh, like, nowhere else to go, God. Like, need your goodness to show up right now, right? We gotta be like Daniel, who this edict gets passed and he's not allowed to pray to his God, but he goes to his room and it says, like usual, like he just continues what he always did, right, in the face of the opposition, and he opens the windows and he prays. It's like we have to live these lives that actually expect to see the goodness of the Lord show up. Like we, we, we have to create situations that actually call on God to deliver. He's the Lord our God, it says, and I think in Isaiah, that he will take us by the hand and he will deliver us. Do you believe it? <laughs> Right, because if it does, we should live lives that, like, not ignorantly and 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 stupidly get us in situations, but courageously and out of faith, we should be walking in circumstances and having conversations with people and and giving financially and 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 laying things down and picking things up that all just put a demand that we see His goodness, right? And the reason why, like, it's not for us. <laughs> His goodness being bestowed upon our lives, us seeing the goodness of the Lord isn't for us. It's actually for his namesake. It's, it's, it's Psalm 67 that God be gracious to me, be good to me, 
Shine your face upon me that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among the nations. Like it's for his namesake. It's like we got to live these lives that like step out and demand the goodness of God to manifest itself because that's how the nations are going to see his saving power and have a revelation that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Peter says it this way. This is the Passion Translation. I really, it says it remarkably, but it's 1 Peter 2, 9. And it says this, But you are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. <laughs> There's your life mandate, <laughs> right? He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Like, man. <laughs> what a high calling. The Lord's like, I want to bless you. I want to pour my goodness upon you. I want you to be a conduit of my, of my blessing so that the nations of the world can see it, that they can see the name of Jesus above all names, and so that the nations will come and bow their knees and profess him as Lord and Savior. It's what God told Israel throughout the whole Old Testament. He's like, it's... <laughs> It's for the sake of the nations. Like I called you out to make a holy people to be your God and to dwell among you so that the nations can see my goodness. Like, and that's his pursuit with Israel throughout the whole Old Testament. And it's like, now we are grafted in. And he's like, I wanna pour my goodness out on you. Not for your sake, but for mine. So the nations can see me and they can be drawn to me. Bill Johnson has this quote, the modern day proverb himself, says the revelation of God's nature, his goodness brings nations to him, but his nature is seen in blessing his children. Who? He's willing and he's loving. He gives because he loves. He wants to bless us. He wants to reveal his nature through our very lives. Like we're co-laborers with Christ. Like you were meant, like his nature was supposed to be on display through your life. His nature. He wants you, little Christian, little Jesuses, Christians. It's like go, make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Like, do things that require me. <laughs> right? Like, do, live a life that's like, only works out as if I manifest myself. That's what he's telling us. Like, live, like Paul says it is, live a life worthy of the gospel. Right? Like, we're supposed to live lives worthy of the gospel. Unfortunately, and I've, I've experienced much of this in my life, I, I think 
there's something that the enemy uses to come and to cause us to lose sight of the goodness of the Lord. And I think it's disappointment. Disappointment is like these blinders that I think you can, you know, you can kind of see out of at first. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, your left eye's out. And then it's like a little bit on the right. And then maybe for a little while you can still walk. But it's like, it's like this progression. And sometimes it's large-scale disappointment that happens in a moment. Um, my parents' divorce, probably the most singular, most disappointing thing in my whole life. But then at the same time, it's, it's death by a million paper cuts. It's every time I pray for someone that doesn't get healed, I would be lying if I didn't say there was disappointment, right? And I think disappointment, what it ultimately does is it, it defers hope and it, disper- it defers expectation. And a hopeless heart gets sick and a hopeless heart doesn't broadcast the glorious wonders throughout the world that God is wanting to do through our lives. You know, so I think there's something that we have to learn what to do with disappointment. Where we live in the already, but the not yet. It's already, but it's not yet. Jesus died, the veil was torn, yes and amen. But the reality of it is, is that we still have sickness and we have death and we have dreams that don't come true and we have broken relationships and we have pain, right? It's already, but it's not yet. And so I think we have to learn what to do with disappointment. I just think if we do not deal with disappointment in our lives, then it will come and it will eat us up on the inside out. And before you know it, we will be living lives that don't require God to show up. Because at first, disappointment itself is quite horrible, but then soon enough, it's simply just the fear of disappointment that will keep us from stepping out. And I'm guilty of it. I didn't see that person get healed, Lord. Like, oh, do I really wanna go pray for that person now? Do I really wanna have to like go into that, have that conversation in my mind and, and put myself out there again? Or you name it, it could be anything. Like, oh Lord, that one relationship, like, I've pursued and I've pursued and I've pursued and I've just had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. You know, and I actually don't even want to put myself out there again because I'm just scared to feel that again. (laughs) Right? And then soon enough, we're just Peter, but we're staying in the boat. We're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're probably doing like a half knee just so that we can like get away with nobody seeing that we're not fully kneeing. And we're Moses, and we're like, no, God, like, I'll see the burning bush, but I'll still just remain here as a shepherd in the wilderness. And we'll allow our lives to be neutralized by disappointment. Our belief in his goodness will windle away. Our faith that activates us to see will just be completely neutralized if we don't deal with disappointment in our lives. Another quote by Bill, which I think is beautiful. He says, the life of a believer is not to be measured by unanswered prayers. Not getting answers is not acceptable, nor is it to become normal. When you don't get an answer, you get alone with Jesus and you find out why. 
And I think that's simply how we deal with disappointment. It's going to happen. It has happened in so many of our lives. I, I, I've had a tremendous amount of disappointment in my life. But I think the way that we deal with disappointment is that we get alone with Jesus. We get alone with him and we wrestle with him. We have to learn how to wrestle with God. You know, Jacob, if you read Genesis, he, you know, his story's interesting, right? It's like he comes out grabbing Esau's heel and it's like a picture of his life for his, or at least his younger years. And, you know, he steals Esau's blessing and his mom comes to him and says, hey, go to my brother, like he lives in a far off land. Like Esau wants to kill you, go, and then when Esau's anger has turned and he doesn't want to kill you anymore, I'll send a message to come get you. So he goes, and, it, and on his journey, it's where he has that encounter with Jacob's ladder, right? And the Lord extends the covenant that he gave to Abraham and Isaac to Jacob. And he says, I'm going to do good to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land to your... Uh, to your generations to come, and he goes and he goes and serves Laban, and you know he thinks he's getting what, Rachel, and then he gets Leah, and he has to work another ten years, and he ends up spending like twenty years, <laughs> right, serving his now father-in-law, and then the Lord comes to him and says, "Now it's time. I want you to go back. I want you to go back." And, and it doesn't mention it. It's like. His mom never sent message that Esau doesn't want to still kill you, right? He would have came back, but he's, it says that he's there for 20 years. 20 years of his life spent, you know, obviously the Lord blessed him. And, and when he leaves, he, it's, he has all of Laban's flock and he has the blessing of the Lord upon him. But then he comes across and the first thing as he's stepping, coming back into what is the promised land. He was coming back to the land that the Lord had promised Abraham. The first thing that like that he comes up against is Esau, which I would have to argue was probably the greatest disappointment in Jacob's life. Like because of his relationship with Esau, he lived in a foreign land for 20 something years and didn't get to see his father or his family or, you know, he, he was to inherit his, his, his father's flocks and blessings and land and, and, and lead the tribe. And it was like he'd been living far off. And so it's like, here the Lord calls him back into the promised land and the first thing that he's confronted with is Esau, right? And at first he like, he kind of freaks out and he's like, all right, like uh, half the camp, like you guys go over there and like half the camp, you guys go over there. So like if Esau comes, like and he finds one of you, then he'll just kill one of the camps and the other one will survive. And you kind of see this like panic um, in him. And uh, I'm just gonna turn to it. I'm going to read it directly. He's got a moment of panic, and then he says, and then he has a moment after he splits the camps. And he said, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And then it goes down again in verse 12 and it says, But you said, I will surely do good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. 
In that moment, Jacob like remembers the goodness of God, right? He remembers like, oh no, like I remember, like Esau's coming, my, my disappointment's about to face me head on. I haven't had to conf- confront this for 20 something years. And he has a moment where he's like, okay, but I remember. You told me you were gonna do good and you were gonna bless me. And so he sends his wife and his kids across the creek. And then it says that he chose to remain there that night. And, says, and, it, and then it says that, and Jacob was alone. And then it goes on to say that that night, Jacob wrestled with a man. A man who was God and he wrestled him and he, he wouldn't let God go. And he was like, no God, like you have to bless me. And I, I would imagine it's something like, God, you have to be good to me. Like I, like I know I have to go through Esau, but like you have to be good to me. Like I have to see your goodness today. I've been, I've had such disappointment and so much you know, pain from this relationship, but like, God, you have to save my life. Like, you have to bless me. Like, I have to see your goodness. And the next morning, he rises up. And rather than like sending other people in front of him, he goes himself and he faces Esau straight on. And the Lord blesses it. And Esau wraps him up and gives him a kiss. And he's like, you can tell, Jacob's like, wait, 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 like, you don't want to kill me? And I think it's just like this beautiful picture of what we have to learn how to do with disappointment. Like, you have to learn how to let go and send the people away and whatever the distractions are and the circumstances. And it's like, and you have to learn how to get alone with God and to wrestle with him. You have to be willing to wrestle with your disappointment and say, God, why? Unanswered prayers are not to be our normal. Unanswered prayers are not to be our normal. We have, and when, they, when they're not answered, it can't just be, okay, I'm disappointed, I'm gonna keep going on. And like, because I can guarantee you that if you don't deal with the disappointment, your prayer the next time is not gonna be the same. Your beliefs is not gonna be the same. The faith that you activate is not gonna be the same. And it might take years, but, but, but slowly but surely, if we don't deal with the disappointments and if we don't learn how to wrestle with God and actually process the disappointment and say, God, where were you? Like, where were you? Like, he can handle our disappointment. Like, like, where were you when, like, I was going through this, this, and this? Like, where were you? And I've had to do this in my own life. Like, I had a very painful season uh, when I was young. And I, which one do I want to go into? <laughs> but I, we have to learn to wrestle with it because over time, It might be a slow fade, but over time, we will find ourselves so neutralized. We will find ourselves so crippled. We will look back and say, the faith I had in my youth, where is it today? Like, that's not supposed to, I feel like that's way too common, right? It's like, oh, I was so passionate and I believed for miracles so much when I was younger, but now I'm just mature. It's like, maybe you're not just mature. Maybe you haven't dealt with disappointments along the way and you've actually lost this place of faith and belief. You know, I I had a season like this. Sammy and I, like Jordan said, 
throughout my whole call, high school and college years, I would have, if you would have asked me, I said, oh, like my calling, my purpose in life or what the Lord had for me was to be in full-time ministry. Like it wasn't even like really a question for me. Um, and during my last semester of college, uh, the rumblings of like Riverhouse beginning to start, um, that conversation started picking up um, to where it was, I graduated in May and in June or July, there was a small group of us that started meeting together. Um, and uh, so from an outside perspective, it was like perfect. It was like, oh, wow, like graduating in May, we're going to start Riverhouse. Sammy and I were getting married in September. Sammy was applying for PA schools um, across the country, but there was a PA school here, Idaho State, and I was more than convinced that that's where she was going to get in, and she was going to go to school, and I was going to be on staff at Riverhouse, and we were going to start this church, and it was just going to be, here we go, Lord, let's do it. Um, quickly after starting Riverhouse, um, Sammy and I got married, and I all of a sudden had this, like, like, no peace about, like, being on staff at the church. Like, there was just, like, it felt like the carpet just got pulled out from underneath me. Um, and I was kind of, like, in a whirlwind. I was, like, we were about to get married, and to be honest with you, I was, like, I didn't know how to deal with it. I was... I was all, mentally, I was all over the place, like questioning, you know, my meaning, my worth, my value. What am I going to do? I'm about to get married. How am I going to provide for my wife? Sammy's going to go to school, you know, and then Sammy applies for Idaho, for Idaho State's PA program. And like, we're not hearing that she's, she hasn't gotten any response back. And <laughs> I like go on my crusader bend and I like get the, <laughs> I get the email address for the admissions person and I like send them an email <laughs> And I'm like, I know it's my wife's application, but I'm her husband, and like, I'm we're, we're called here to start a church. And I was just like ignoring the fact that like maybe this wasn't where God had us right now. But I'm like, I like God's called us here. My family's planning a church. I'm supposed to be like, man, I just got on a bend on this email. I wish I'd find it and read it. It'd be entertaining. And I get it. I get like a very sweet email back. Well, thank you, sir, but uh, we're not allowed to talk about uh, people's applications with anyone other than themselves. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, just accept her. It's God's way, <laughs> right? And I was just like so bent on it. Um, and, uh, you know, during this time, you know, about a month later, actually while we were on our honeymoon, she got a, an email that she'd gotten into a school in Virginia. And it was like, really, God? Like, Virginia? Like, what's there? Why? 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 And I think for a while there, I was still praying the prayers of like, no, this is the impossibilities. Like, you're going to make a way where there's no way. Um, And then finally, we had to make a decision. Um, And so we we had to move because school was going to start in January. And so we had to make a call. And so we made the call and decided to for Sammy to go to the school in Virginia, and, and, and we went, um, and, oh, wow, I know it's 6 o'clock, and uh, we got there, and it was probably, well, I don't think I realized it in the moment, but uh, a season of probably really intense disappointment in my life, we, we got there, and newly married, and probably had $1,000 to our name, and... Uh, 
For the first three months, I couldn't get a job. I sat and applied for jobs every day, all day, hundreds of jobs. You know, by, by month one, we had no money. So it was our gracious family helping us survive. And as a new husband who is like, you want to be this provider for your wife, I'm having to deal with like, man, I can't even make money. I can't even get a job. Like, like what am I doing? Like, I saw my life through this lens, but like, but this is nothing what I thought, or, you know, going there, it was like, we're going to be here for two to two and a half years. And I'm just like, God, like, like, whoa, like, whoa, this isn't what I thought. This isn't what I expected. And there was a moment where I felt like the Lord was like, are you going to trust me, though, that I'm still good? And if you look at my journals for like that whole season, I feel like I was like so redundant. Like I literally journaled about nothing else, but it was just simply like, God, I, I'm really disappointed because I don't know what my life is now gonna look like. But like, I believe that you're good. Like I know that you're good. Like you've brought me through a really terrible season. And like, I know that you're good. And I kept wanting to having the temptation to like go and like, put everything back together so that I could see my life and see where I was going. And the Lord kept saying like, no, just allow it to be broken and just wrestle with it. Wrestle, 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 wrestle the fact that you thought you were gonna be on staff at a church. Wrestle with the fact that like, that's not where I'm actually gonna place you. You know, wrestle with the fact that like you wanted to be in Idaho and you wanted to be, you know, Riverhouse is blossoming at this point. And it's like, part of me is like, so like grieving the fact that like I'm across the country. And the Lord was like, just wrestle with me. Just wrestle with me. Just wrestle with me. And I can tell you that like, our year and a half there was like a season of like, I just, I didn't even know what to do, but it was like, God, I'll wrestle with you. Like I'll sit in this and I'll feel this and I won't run from it. And in the midst of it, like I'll trust that like your goodness is still on the prowl and it's still chasing my life. Even though I didn't see, I literally can tell you, I saw nothing. Like I literally was just like, I just don't know where my life's gonna be. Like I, I, I it, was, it, was, it was almost like debilitating, like it was it's crippling, but it was like, okay, God. But no, I know you're good. I know you're good. And I can honestly tell you is that, you know, in that season, I, I wrestled, I learned, how to, I, I, I learned how to wrestle with disappointment and not feel like I had to get to the other side immediately. I didn't have to have the answer immediately because I was trusting and I knew that he was good. And, you know, when we choose to take that posture, what it actually, I think it postures us to do that even in the midst of disappointment, it'll, it, it postures us in a position to taste and see. It leaves us in a place where the Lord can still be like, his voice can speak and we're not neutralized, but we're actually aware that like, I have this belief you're good, so as soon as you open a door and you show me where to walk, like, I'll walk, because I know it's going to be good. And, you know, in that season, I, I, the Lord did this. I'm in the midst of this wrestling with my disappointment, not knowing what my life was going to look like, and then all of a sudden, I just, I hear this whisper, go to law school. And I'm like, go to law school. I didn't like school growing up. It was not my thing. 
Like, like not at all. School is not my thing. I remember graduating college and telling my roommates, like, oh, praise the Lord. I'd never go back to school unless God himself, like, stands along with, like, Moses and Elijah and at least a few more saints and, like, tells me to go back to school. Right? And in, and in the midst of this season, like, I, I hear this voice. And the Lord's like, go to law school. And I'm like, and it started to resonate with me. And I started to, like, partner his voice with, like, this belief that I, I stayed in that he was good and that he wanted to bless my life. And it culminated in, in ultimately us coming back to Idaho and making a decision to, to go to law school. And it was a very unnatural decision. I didn't want to be a lawyer, had no desire to be a lawyer, knew I didn't, would not, I just did not want to be a lawyer. Like, like, I just, I, like, just, there's just like no better way to say it. Like, yeah, I was going to go to law school and I was willing and I was doing so and going to go into $100,000 plus of debt. It was like, wow, Lord, like, I feel like the rug got pulled out from underneath me once. Now you, with what I thought my career was going to be, and now you're asking me to go to law school and like take out this, a bunch of debt and like really take a step of faith into a career that I have absolutely zero desire. I actually ended up working for a lawyer in Virginia, funny thing enough. And I, it was like, I don't want this life. Like (laughs) not me, not me. I'm not a pencil pusher. I'm not a, it's just, yeah. Funny thing is lawyers, you think they're all like these stand in front of a judge and like argue these eloquent cases. No, 99% of lawyers, they just research and write. It's so boring. But I no offense if you're a lawyer, but that's what I was awakened by at law school. It was all reading and writing. The movies don't portray them correctly. Only 1% of cases go to trial. So that means 1% of all the cases in the world, people actually get to go like argue. So anyways, there's a side tangent. Anyways, I got to close this up because I know the kids are coming in. But we have to learn how to wrestle with disappointment. You have to learn how to sit in it. Like, we're going to have it. And we cannot allow disappointment to neutralize us. If I would have allowed it to neutralize me, I don't think I would have taken the step of faith to go to law school. And by the way, to culminate that whole thing, like, I'm not, I don't practice law, but I believe my step of faith to go to law school opened a door to me to, like, my, uh, my, my wildest dreams being fulfilled. What I do for work and what, the, what I get to do on a daily basis, I could never have asked or imagined for it. Like, I, and I kid you not. Like, I, I, I can't put words to it. I feel like a giddy kid most times I go to school. I've never gone to bed on Sunday night thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I have to go to work tomorrow. It's like, oh, my gosh, I get to go to work tomorrow. Like, like I, I, it's more than I could have asked or imagined, you know. And I really do believe that if disappointment would not have been dealt with correctly in that season, if I had not chosen to wrestle with God, I think I may have missed that voice and kept living a life that, didn't need God to show up. And can I testify I got out of law school debt-free too? So amen for that. Like, like he's, he, 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 he's, he's miraculous. He's better than in our wildest imaginations. You know, the goodness of God is, uh, is, is a worthy pursuit for your life. And uh, don't let disappointment be the thing that keeps you from seeing more of it. Amen? Amen. I... Uh, I know I got to close, but I got a couple, I got a couple good things I still want to say. But funny thing is, yesterday, uh, Sammy and I were we were getting a massage. This guy, it's like he comes comes to your house and he like lays the table down. It was, uh, and so we were getting massaged. And anyways, I was just getting. It was Sammy went first, and then I went. And uh, I don't know why you guys are laughing so much. 
I was just getting a massage. I was sore. <laughs> no, but anyways, uh, I'm, I, I kid you not. I'd spent all morning, like, working on this sermon. Like, God, like, you know, I'd been working on it. But it was like, what do you want me to say? Like, just give me your words. Like, I don't want to go up there and perform. And it's like the Lord just kept speaking to me about his goodness. And I'm like laying on this massage table and I'd never met this guy. And I'm like, I, we start talking, you know, I had to introduce myself. I'm usually the guy who's like, oh, I don't want to talk when I get a massage, right? Like, like, don't talk to me. Like, you know what I mean? Can anybody there? No? Okay. Um, but anyways, I'm like, oh, I haven't met this guy. He's in my house. I should probably like say hi and ask a few questions, right? So I say hi, I start asking a few questions. One thing leads to another. And he starts telling me about how like, you know, he grew up in the church and he got like super wounded and like had walked away from the Lord. Um, and uh, in his quote to me, he goes, yeah, I just, I just don't believe God's good. And I was like, I wanted to like, <laughs> to be honest, I wanted to like jump up and like look him in the eyes and be like, no, let me tell you, he's willing and he's loving and he's better than you could have ever imagined. I didn't jump up because I was getting a massage, so I kept my face in that hole, but I started testifying to him like, like, let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord, right? Like... Like, 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 hold your boat here, buddy. You got, you came to the right guy today, right? Like, <laughs> this hole is not going to restrict me. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'm just leaning into it, you know, <laughs> right? And I was just like, dude, let me tell you, like, it's okay to wrestle, but like, let me, like, I've seen the goodness in my life and I was able to testify and be like, like, oh, I was here, here, and here and like God met me and it's like, it's okay to wrestle. It's okay. If you have questions, ask him questions. But one thing I can tell you is he's good, you know, and I just got this beautiful open door to like do exactly what Psalm 67 says. It was like, wow, God, you've blessed me. You've shined your face upon me so that the nations could know your way and your saving power. And it was like, I just had, it was like the Lord just illustrated it for me in that moment. He's like, Riley, oh, I don't do this just for you. I did it for him. You know, you had to wrestle with your disappointment so that he could see my goodness in your life. Like if you wouldn't have wrestled with your disappointment, you would have been dead silent that whole massage and not a word would have came out of your mouth. Right? And it's like, we can't let the enemy neutralize us. Psalm 67, David prays Psalms 27. It's literally my favorite Psalms. This is how I'm gonna end. David goes, praise this prayer. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, wait for the Lord. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. The word believe, it's to lean your life upon. It's to build your life upon. Are you going to build your life upon the belief that you're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? It's a yes or no question. You're either building on the expectation that the goodness of God is going to manifest everywhere you look in your life or you're not. And then the word wait, it's not the word that we use for wait. It's a verb. It's active. 
It's a doing word, right? It's wait. It means to eagerly expect. It's to sit on the edge of your seat. It's to walk and to have movement. It's not to sit idle and passive. We are not sitting and waiting passively to see the goodness of God in our lives. We are waiting with expectations and taking steps of faith like Shadrach did, saying, God, you're able to deliver me and you will. Amen. Amen. And then courage. The last thing, it's what you need. You have to have courage to face your disappointment. And it's the same word. It's parallel with the word that, that Peter prays in Acts 4 or 5. He just goes to prison. And he gets out of prison. And he comes and they pray a prayer. And they say, God, fill us with all boldness that we would continue to preach the gospel. Right? It's like that's what, the, that, that's what the take courage means. It means to be undaunted. It means that like God, like though I face resistance and disappointments, fill me with the courage to face them and to keep proclaiming with boldness. Like you need courage, right? So let's just stand up together. And I'm going to, if the ministry team wants to come forward, if Becca wants to play some keys or somebody. I just feel like there's two groups of people that the Lord wants to minister to tonight. The first, the first one is if you've had disappointment in your life that you haven't dealt with. I specifically felt like there's older people in the room tonight that disappointment some 20, 30 years ago caused you to make a life decision that you're like, wow, how do I rewrite that? And the Lord's like, I'm rewriting it tonight. That you may have made life decisions out of disappointment and not out of faith when you were some 20, 30 years ago, but the Lord's like, I wanna rewrite it today. And the second group of people is that if you don't believe God is good, if you believe he's able, but you don't believe he's willing, if you want the Lord to come in and repent, the word repent means to change the way you think. How beautiful. If you only think he's able, but, he's act, but you don't believe he's willing tonight, I feel like the Lord wants to come and he wants to change the way you think so that you could see him as the willing and loving God that gives because he loves. So that's, if that's you, if, that's, if, if, if you've struggled with disappointment, if disappointment has redirected your life and caused you to be neutralized, if your faith has been shut down because of disappointment, I just want you to come forward. rewriting tonight he's rewriting stories where disappointment has written your story and caused you to make decisions that don't need God and has culminated in a life that's not what you thought it would be I feel like he's, he's just rewriting tonight God, I just thank you. I thank you that your promise is that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. 
Lord, I pray that you would put an eager expectation in our spirits, God. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with courage. Lord, and I ask that disappointment would bow, would bow tonight. I just speak to disappointment in people's hearts and I say you bow to the goodness of God. I just say you bow to the goodness of God. Lord, change the way we think tonight. Lead us into a right thinking. Lead us into a thinking and a, and a belief system, God, that you are willing, that you're not just able, but you're willing, and that you give abundantly because you love relentlessly. God, change our minds, Lord. Empower us to live like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, give us the faith, God, to live lives that need you. Give us an expectation, God. Give us an expectation tonight. Fill us with an expectation tonight, God. Teach us how to wait with eager expectation. Teach us how to take heart, Lord. free to leave, but I just feel like there's a, whew, that the goodness of God is in this room tonight. And so if you need to taste and see, even if, even if you need to take a step of faith tonight, because if you need to taste and see of his goodness, if it's been a little too long, I just encourage you to, to even activate yourself and come forward and just feel like the Lord just wants to give, hand you a taste of his goodness tonight. or imagined in Jesus' name. 